God, the words that we just sang about, may the truth of what we just sang about become true and real to our hearts and our souls. Because you live, I can face tomorrow. Because you live, there is nothing to fear. Because you live, all fear is gone. May the truth of your resurrection come alive powerfully in our hearts today, we pray. I want to uh, welcome all of you that were dragged or bribed or just decided to come along with your family and friends. Um, we're glad that you're here, and we're honored that you're here. Um, particularly on Easter Sunday, we take time to explain Christianity and the essence of it. Because we know, and we don't take for granted, that everybody that attends on Easter Sunday understands the essential truth. One of the foundational things about Christianity that you need to know is that the foundation of our faith is not teaching. Foundation of our faith is not philosophy. Foundation of our faith is a person and an event. The foundation and the essence of our faith says that Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, died and rose again on the third day and today reigns as King and as Lord. The essence of Christianity, let me say it again, is not teaching or philosophy, way of life. The essence of Christianity is a person who claimed to be God, rose, defeated sin, death, and today reigns as Lord. The first Christians believed that this was the essence and the foundation of it, and not teaching or philosophy. Let me show you. 20, 30 years after the death and resurrection of Christ, the Apostle Paul, the guy named Apostle Paul, writes this letter to a church in Corinth, city of Corinth, and he says this. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. That's pretty strong, yeah? And if Christ has not been raised, just so you know, your faith is a futile. You are still in your sins. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul literally says, if Christ has not been raised, there's no point to all of this. There's no point. See, the early Christians didn't go out and say, let me tell you about Jesus. He didn't really rise from the dead. But isn't it an awesome symbol of how evil has been triumphed over by good? So you can go to heaven when you die. The early Christians went out and they said, let me tell you the good news about Jesus. He died and he rose from the dead. And he is alive and he rules today. And that means, check this out, we can't live any way we want to. But that also means we don't have to be afraid of anything. Not cancer, not death, anything. Real quick, ushers, as folks are coming in, there are plenty of seats up front, and we may need to open the balcony area, so I want you to go and encourage folks to do that. Jesus Christ rises from the dead. If he doesn't, there's no living savior, there's no living message, there's no point to all this. But the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. And that's great news. We didn't say this yet today, so I'm going to do it. 
Some of us grew up in church traditions where the person would say, Christ is risen, and you would say, one more time, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And you're welcome to do that throughout the service today. All four gospel writers spend a bulk of time talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And they kind of sort of point to this, but the, the Apostle John actually gets to the specifics of it. And he actually opens our eyes to this powerful truth. And, 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 and we're not preaching. I'm not going to be looking at the Gospel of John today. We're going to be in Gospel of Mark because we've been on the series Return of the King. But John says that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ happens in a garden. And there's significance to that. Let me show you. You ready? Sin and death enters in the garden. The body of Jesus lies in a garden. And on the third day, in the garden, Jesus conquers sin and death. And he rises to be king. The garden, the place where sin and death enters the world, the garden where the death of Jesus Christ occurs and he's buried, but the garden, the place in which he overcomes sin and death, the place in which the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God that he's been talking about is ushered in. The garden, the place in which the restoration, renewal of all creation begins. The garden. The garden. We pick up the story in Mark chapter 16, verse 1, when it says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. You need to know that all four gospel writers actually highlight the fact that the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection were who? Were women. Matter of fact, Mark particularly mentions this repeatedly eight times in the resurrection account. He says that women were the first to see Jesus. And this became one of the most powerful witnesses or evidence to the truthfulness of the gospel. Because when the, when, when the initial uh, uh, news went out that Jesus had risen from the dead, the opponents basically tried to diminish this news by saying, this is a legend per- perpetrated by the followers of Jesus. This is a legend, a myth that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And one of the most powerful witnesses or evidence against this theory that it was a myth was what they do here over and over again the gospel writers say women were the first witnesses women were the first witnesses women were the first witnesses you go well what's the big deal about that let me show you what the big deal about that is luke's account of the resurrection this is what happens in luke 24 verse 9 says when they that is the women came back from the tomb they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others it was mary magdalene joanna mary the mother of james and the others with whom he told this to the apostles verse 11 but they that is the disciples uh the men did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. So the women come and say, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive, we saw him. And the disciples don't believe the women. And this attitude perfectly illustrated the attitude of the men during that time. Maybe even today too, yeah. <laughs> this is a culture in which women's low social status meant that their testimony wasn't even allowed in court. So you could have a hundred women eyewitness a murder, and if they're not a single dude around, you couldn't be tried. 
This is a culture in which women were not even allowed to testify in court because of their status. And yet, what do we find? Over and over again, the gospel writers say, the first to witness the resurrection were women. There's absolutely no advantage to the church publicly affirming in a public document that the first eyewitnesses were women. It does nothing to bolster their testimony. It could only hinder it. And yet, the gospel writers say, the women were the first to see it. Why? Because it happened. Because it's true. And actually, this is really powerful. The reason why Mark writes it in, this, in, in, in his book is because these are source citations, other footnotes. These names are literally written on there because Mark's going, anybody wants to go check out if it really happened, uh, there, there's a group of women named Mary and some others who are still alive. This is only 20, 30 years after it happened. They're still alive. They actually saw it happen. Go check it out. Ask them. Ask them. And you would never do that in a time in which somebody can go, okay, I, I, I will go check it out. This is nonsense. See if it really happened. Verse 2, yet very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they're on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large and very heavy, had been rolled away. Verse 5, as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Verse 6, don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. Say this with me together. Ready? He has risen. Not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell the disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. What do we learn about the resurrection account? Three things. First, the resurrection account tells us and gives us a word of challenge for the mind. Now, when all the disciples, when Jesus was crucified, they all fled. Do you remember this? I just took off. All four Gospels paint a very unflattering picture of the people who were most intimately acquainted with Jesus and followed him. The picture we find the disciples, they're dis- disheartened, they're disillusioned, they're dispirited, disappointed. And then all of a sudden, they weren't. All of a sudden, these people that were disheartened, dispirited, fearful for their lives and scared, disowned Jesus, all of a sudden they weren't. They completely turned and changed. Something happened to them, and this conviction would change the world because these guys, by this conviction, were motivated to share it, even at tremendous cost to themselves. Something drastic happened to these guys. Now, we, we, we today go, well, pe- people just kind of, you know, they believe the resurrection because you know, people are just gullible. They're kind of, you know, no science. This is ancient times. People said, Jesus rose from the dead. They said, oh, he must have risen from the dead. Today we're smarter. We're brighter. We're more scientific. We're more intellectual. Well, here's the thing. It's a time in which they understood that dead people stay dead. Hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Uh, a story is told, some of you guys heard this, a story is told about a woman who looks out into her backyard. She sees her German shepherd with a rabbit in its mouth. She's freaking out because it's a neighbor's rabbit. So she runs out of the backyard and she grabs a broom from her house. She says, whacking at her dog. Let it go, let it go, let it go. The dog finally drops the rabbit and runs away. And the woman picks up this very dead, very, very dead rabbit, takes it into her house, goes into the bathroom, gives it a really nice bath, makes it crystal pure white clean, takes her blow dryer, 
fluffs up the fur, and she takes it, and when nobody's walking out, she runs to her neighbor's backyard, puts it in her cage, and props the rabbit back up and runs back to her home. She waits about an hour later. An hour later, she hears screams coming from her neighbor's backyard, and she's freaking out because they hadn't gotten along, and this is disastrous. So she casually goes out and says, whoa, what's, what, what's wrong? And her neighbor says, my rabbit, my rabbit. It died two weeks ago, and I buried it. But it's alive. It's alive. It's alive. I can't believe it. It's alive. Well, apparently, y'all have never heard that story before. Okay. Well, for sure, maybe one or two. Listen, listen. People 2,000 years ago understood that dead rabbits what? Stay dead. And check this out. Dead rabbis stay dead. <laughs> but something happens. So today you and I go, well, it's just a worldview. Let me just real quickly, real quickly. And I ne- I've never actually shared this with you. Let me quickly tell you why us if you're here today, you're not a Christian, go, well, I just, Peter, come on, 2,000 years ago, people ancient, they just believe they're gullible. Let me, let me tell you what their worldview was and why I would argue that it was just as difficult, if not more difficult, for them to believe that a dead rabbi would come alive. There were some people who actually believed, kind of like today, who've always been obsessed with the afterlife, right? There's some people who believe that when you died, it was, you were like a candle whose light just went out, Matter of fact, there was a, a, a tomb epithet that was so popular that it was translated both in Latin and Greek, and it simply said this, very popular tombstone, I was not, I was, I am not, and I don't care. It was so popular that it was both translated in Latin and Greek. There's a lot of people believe, this is what happens when you die, like some of you here today. When you die, this is nothing. Just go out. Then there were some people who believed and this place called Hades, this, this underworld, right, where your dead spirit would go. And, and, and you would just kind of hover in this little uh, world, underworld called the Hades. But everybody knew, man, journey to Hades was a one-way trip. You went, and you never came back. Then the Israelites, the Jews, though, check this out. The Jews had this perspective of worldview that was actually pretty new and astonishing to the people of the time. They believed in, listen to this, call the resurrection. Did you know that the resurrection was around hundreds of years before Jesus arrived? And here's what the resurrection was, the Israelites believed. The resurrection was this. The resurrection, the Israelites believed, the Jews believed that not only were we sinful and messed up, but the world is a hot mess. The world is a hot mess. There's evil, there's injustice, there's suffering. And there's really no hope for it. Because not only are we getting worse and worse, but the world is. And so the Jews believe in the resurrection. Here's what they believe. They believe that at the end of time, at the end of time, that God, the king would return, that he was going to restore, renew, cleanse everything, that he would end suffering, that he would end injustice, that he would end evil, he would forgive our sins, and that he would raise all of God's righteous people called the resurrection. They believe that we, and they use this language, today lived in the age. And then they believe, though, in the age to come. The age to come. That's what they call the kingdom. The age to come in which God would do this. But here's the thing. They all agree, the Jews agree, that the resurrection would be dramatic, massive scale, happen to all of God's people, and at the end of history. So you could understand why for the Jews, 
The resurrection of Jesus was nonsense. Because the thought that one person in the middle of history would experience the resurrection, this age to come, was absolutely not. Somebody once asked him, Rabbi, Rabbi, why don't you believe in the resurrection? His answer, disease continues. Death continues. Injustice continues. Jesus couldn't have been the Messiah. Stop talking nonsense. You need to understand that for the Jews, the followers of Jesus, their worldview said, resurrection? Middle of history? One person, while death and suffering still continues, that's nonsense. But something happened. What happened? And you need to listen to this. They let the evidence challenge and ultimately change their mind. They didn't just go, well, as wishful thinking. They looked at the evidence and they said, could this have really happened? Somebody said, well, it's hallucinations. Hallucinations happen to people who consider it possibility. It has to be even possible or even imaginable for you to hallucinate. This is absolutely unfathomable for the followers of Jesus. They found the resurrection just as inconceivable as you. But they were transformed. Early believers didn't go around and go, well, I feel his presence though. I kind of feel his vibe. They walked around and said, he's alive. He defeated sin and death. And so everything's different. And they gave their lives for it. Let's apply this real quick, eh? We live in a world where people go, truth is relative, truth is relative. So here's what people say. If Christianity works for you, if it helps you, if it changes you, well, then it's true for you. Christianity says the exact opposite. Christianity says, because it's true, it will change you. Because it's true, it will help you. Because it's true, it will work for you. That's the essence of Christianity. We sang about this all morning. How do you know? How do you know? Not just hope. How do you know in the depths of your soul that despite the horrible things that's going to happen to you maybe this year, despite the horrible things that's happening in the world today, how do you not just hope but know in the depths of your soul that someday God is going to make it all right? The resurrection. How do you know, not just hope, but how do you know from the depths of your heart that even if things are falling apart out there and falling apart in here, that someday God is going to come and restore and renew everything? How do you know, not just hope, because of what? The resurrection. How do you know, for those of us that walked in here today going, man, I wish I was better struggling with this sin. Man, I wish I was better struggling with addiction. How do you know, not just hope, no, but that you are forgiven, that, that God is at work in you, and that God will one day make you sinless and perfect and righteous. How do you know, not just hope, because of the, say with me, resurrection. How do you know? Has anybody ever seen a dead body go to dust? I have. I have. I've seen a dead body go to dust. How do you know that someday God is going to raise that up? Because of what? The resurrection. Don't ask. Well, you know, if it works for you, it's true for you. Wrong. It's true. That's why it works for you, helps you, changes you. You with me, church? The resurrection is the foundation of everything that we believe. And we don't just hope for it. We put all of our faith in it. Don't ask, hey, man, if I become a will work for me? Because it's true. Because it's true. Because it happened. It will work for you. 
Give me like two minutes to talk to like a handful of you guys that are here today. You go, man, Peter, I'd like to believe, but I'm just not a person of faith. I just like, you know, I I don't know if I can. Here's what I would say to you. Is it possible? Is it possible? Is it possible that maybe it's not a lack of information that's keeping you, but it's a commitment deal? Maybe you're somebody who just sort of generally believes in God. You walked in here today, and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe somebody just walked in here today and I sort of, you know, vaguely believe in God, Peter, but, but I don't know about this whole thing about resurrection. Maybe it's not lack of information. Maybe it's this. It's, it's the truth that if Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead, then it changes everything, right? It changes. That, mean, that means that we don't get to live any way we want to. That means he's king. And you know what the Bible says? That was such great insight to human, humanity. The Bible says that all of us were born knowing that there is a God and that we owe allegiance to him. But we don't like that. So we suppress that truth. We suppress that truth. Because acknowledging and giving allegiance to God means acknowledging and admitting, hello, that I'm a moral failure. Hello, that I'm not in control of my life. And hello, I'm not very competent at running my own life. Mm-hmm. I have great news. You ready? We already know you're not very competent at running your life. Shh, don't tell Why are you carrying that enormous burden of trying to run your own life? Why are you walking there today absolutely worn out and trying to maintain control and run your own life? Maybe today is the day you go, God, I surrender to you. Maybe today is the day you go, I'm tired, God. I'm tired of trying to carry the weight of the world by running and maintaining control of my own life. Maybe it'll be freeing to you to go, God, I'm going to trust someone who is way more competent than I will ever be. I surrender my life to you. Maybe today's the day you do that. Maybe today's the day you do that. A word of God for the mind. Secondly, the resurrection account tells us that there's a word of God, a word of grace for the heart. Word of grace for the heart. I love this part. I love this part. Twelve years I've preached on Easter. This part this year came alive to me, and I love this part. What do I mean? Resurrection means first that in Christ Jesus you have a new identity. Is this good news to anybody? Oh, you'll think it's amazing news once I'm done with this point. Resurrection Sunday is about a God who created everything in the beginning, recreating everything. Resurrection is about God remaking everything, and it begins with you. It begins with me. It begins with his disciples. The resurrection means that these disciples now get a brand new identity beyond just their sinful, sorry selves. The angel says in verse 7, go and tell the disciples that Jesus will see all of you. And in John's account, Jesus says to Mary, listen to this, John 20, verse 17, go to my, what? Say it with me. Go to my brothers. Go to my brothers and tell them I'm returning to my father and your father and my God and your God. The last time Jesus saw the disciples, these guys did what? They deserted him. They let him down. They fled upon his arrest. And up until now in the gospel of John, Jesus called his disciples disciples, servants, and even friends. But now for the very first time, he calls them what? He said what? He says, brothers, after what they had done, they're worth for themselves as failure, loser, coward. But Jesus says to them, what? No, you're my what? Brothers, 
See, something happened with the cross and the resurrection. After the resurrection, they realized that Jesus died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, it wasn't just his death. It was also whose death? It was our death. Somehow our sins that we know need to be forgiven. Your sins, my sins, they got forgiven through what Jesus did. Jesus Christ pays the ultimate price for my pardon. My guilt and my sin are defeated on the cross. And that means now they have a new Identity. They have a new identity. Up until now, Jesus is called God, his father. But now Jesus deliberately says in John 21, I am Jesus to my father and, say it with me, and your father. He is saying, you could know him like I. Know him. You can be related to him. Hello? Like what? I am related to him. You have a new identity now. It's not just my God. It's whose God? It's your God. And the amazing thing is, let's get this clear. The new identity, the new status that they have is not based on their performance, is it? Their performance stinks. It's based on whose performance? Jesus' performance. Is this good news to anybody? You could clap to that. It's amazing news. It's amazing news. Jesus is saying, it's not about your performance because if it was up to your performance, disciples, you're a loser. You're a coward. You're a failure. But you know what? It's not about your performance. It's a gift of grace. Oh, man. He's saying, you don't earn it. I don't know. You don't deserve it. You don't know. You don't work for it. How do I get it? It's a gift of grace. Oh, my gosh. Your identity to call God my God, my Father, is because of who? See, I'm getting emotional. Looking at some of you guys getting emotional. Because some of us, this hits deep, doesn't it? Because isn't it amazing news that Jesus Christ says to some of you today, do you know it's not about your past? Because if it was up to your past, you wouldn't even be here today. But Jesus says, it's about my past. And it's not about your, your achievement, your performance. Because your achievement, your performance, you stink. But it's about my performance, my achievement. You got to know this is the difference between gospel and religion. And some of you walked in here and going, Christianity is just like religion. That's what you want to have nothing to do with it. Religion says, you clean yourself up. You make yourself appropriate to God. Then maybe God will accept you. And that's toxic. That's death. We hate that in our church. Gospel says what? In Christ, he has done all the work for you to be accepted in him unconditionally. And once you become his son, his daughter, his child, God goes, all right, let's get, let's, let's get to work now. See, one of the most amazing verses in the Bible, amazing verses in the Bible is Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8, where it says what? Jesus, say this with me, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. Is this good news to anybody? It's amazing news to me, especially on this Easter Sunday when I'm, realize, when I'm, I'm told that I have a new identity in Christ. Because sometimes I do things that will make Jesus be ashamed of me. Anybody else? 
I just did something last night. But you know what? Jesus goes, Peter, even when you mess up, he says, I'm not ashamed to call you brother. When you're tempted to that sin, Jesus says, I'm not ashamed to call you brother. Even when you go, I only God, I'm going to pull myself by the boots just and do it myself and pop, flat on our faces, Jesus goes, yeah, you too, I'm not ashamed to call you brother. Oh, by the way, and sister, and sister. Is that amazing news? This is so amazing that some of us refuse to believe it. This is so amazing that some of us refuse to believe it. Jesus is not a I, I, Okay, can I, can I just share a little bit more? Can I, can I, give, my, can I give a short testimony this morning? I, I, it'll last like one minute. See, where I grew up in church, you got to know that where I grew up in church, the whole framework and premise of the gospel, unfortunately, was something like this. Listen, Jesus died for you, so you're saved, so go sin no more. And there was this level of perfection that was supposed to occur like right away. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. Say preach if you know what I'm talking about. And so here's the thing. So I grew up in a church culture where everybody just walked around pretending that they didn't struggle. They say, come on now. Teach, preach. You know what I mean? We just all walked around. We pretended. I didn't even feel like, I didn't feel safe to share anything. Because I'm like, I got saved. But I still struggle a little bit with lust. I still struggle a little bit with anger. Well, actually a lot. A lot with anger. I still struggle a little bit with bitterness, you know what I mean? But I felt so, so, so bad because I was around like, does anybody else struggle with this? Everybody's like, no, we don't struggle with it. What's wrong with you? Is there one more I'm talking about? And I grew up in that church culture. I didn't feel safe to talk about it. And so you know what eventually happened to me? I just decided Jesus doesn't work for me. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, what is wrong with me that they, they don't struggle when they really struggle? What is wrong? With, and this is when, listen, the truth of the resurrection hit home and the gospel came through. Because you know what the Bible says? Check this out. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. He was delivered over to death for our sins and he was raised to life for, check this out, our justification. That literally is a legal term that means not guilty. And what this verse says, how do you know that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sins? That in your heart of hearts you know. How do you know that no matter what you do, there is no punishment coming your way because Jesus Christ paid your punishment once and for all? Paul says, it's the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's way of saying paid in full across history. Paid in full across history. Romans 8.1, there's therefore what now? No condemnation. That doesn't give me license to sin. That gives me motivation to obey. You know what your motivation to obey is? My motivation to obey is here's the second truth of the grace for your heart. Resurrection not only means that we give a new identity. Resurrection means that we are a new creation. And man, this gripped Paul, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, say with me, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Do you know what the resurrection means? The resurrection means that even though today I am not the man I want to be, I am not the man I once was. I am not the man I once was. There's a new story for me. I'm being remade. I'm being recreated in the likeness of Jesus. 
Are you hearing me? The resurrection means that you and I are not the men, not the women that we want to be. But we are not today because of Christ, the man or the women we once were. Oh, yeah, there is this little thing in you and thing in me. Anybody else struggle with self-absorption? The fact that you don't raise your hands means you struggle with self-absorption. You self-absorbed bunch of people. I struggle with self-absorption. I struggle with selfishness. I struggle with lust. I struggle with these things. And the Bible says, you know what that is? That's the old self, the old nature, the old man. You know what I'm talking about? It just kind of rears its ugly head. But you know what Paul says? Paul says, listen, when Jesus Christ died, it's not just that he died so that we didn't have to die. He died so that we could die with him. He was crucified so that we could be crucified with him, that old nature. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 6. This is so powerful. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anybody who has died has been freed from sin. Man, that old self keeps trying to come back to life. But the resurrection says that old self has a time and that clock is ticking. The clock is ticking on that old self. I'm being remade. So those old habits and sins I still struggle with, I surrender them to God. And when I mess up, I confess. I repent. And I ask God, God, will you help me die to these old habits and old patterns and that old self? And you know what? I make amends to the people that I hurt. I ask them for forgiveness. And then I let go because the resurrection means that I will not allow my sin, my struggles, or my addictions to define me. Jesus Christ defines me. Is this good news to anybody? It's okay to believe that God loves you. No matter what I've done, my Heavenly Father loves me. My Heavenly Father loves me. Resurrection means you are a new creation. So I have good news for you, church. Don't give up. Keep walking. Keep pressing in. Keep confessing. Find God-loving, Christ-exalting believers. Do life with them. Get help. Get guidance. But don't ever give up. Why? Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ still is giving a new identity to people. Jesus Christ is still in the business of making new creation out of old man. Is this good news? Have you committed yourself to him? This God, have you committed, this Jesus, this Jesus, have you gone to him personally? Have you responded in a personal way to this Jesus by saying, I want to die to the old self on the cross with you, and I want to ask you to make me come alive? Have you actually responded to this Jesus? Then came the twist that nobody was looking for. Because somehow, <laughs> somehow, this though resurrection, the age to come, that began in Jesus, disciples realize, oh, oh, it's also beyond where? The age to come, the resurrection, that just began in Jesus. But it's starting, and then, and then here's a twist. Jesus comes and says, the newness that I'm creating in you, he says what? Now, go out. And you, as a Christian, don't just walk around with an assurance to heaven, but you now have an assignment to complete. That is to bring newness out of old, to restore, heal, fix. All that's gone awry because of sin. 
all of a sudden the twist was this. Jesus going, listen, it's not like God's one day going to just come and go, boop, everything's new. He says, how will people know that the age to come has been ushered in? How will people know that one day God is going to come and fix and restore everything? He says, what? Through who? Through you and through me. The age to come through you and through me. Jesus Christ says, God said, work in us. And it needs to go out. God's promise to forgive sins, fix the world, heal suffering. It's not going to be carried out by you, the transformed resurrection community. And so there's a word of mission for the whole life. Verse 7. Don't be alarmed, Jesus says, and go. Go tell the people about the resurrection. Go and communicate in every way you can about the resurrection. And what did they say? The early disciples did not read the Bible. They didn't go out and say, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So if you believe in you can go to heaven when you die. No. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Wasn't it great? You could have peace in your heart. No, what did they say? Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. So the world is a different place. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. It's a turning point in history. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And the promised new world, the kingdom, the rule and reign of God, to restore and to renew, to bring love, peace, and justice has begun. The resurrection is good news, church, today, is it not? Because it's God's emphatic declaration that the real problems of this world matter to God, and God himself came to do something about it. So you know what that means? That means that the resurrection doesn't mean an escape from this world. It means a mission to the world based on the lordship of Christ over the world. This is why when Paul ends this beautiful resurrection chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, This is what he says. He says, so therefore, because Christ is risen, always give yourselves, what? Say it with me, fully to the work of the Lord. Are you giving yourselves fully to the work of the Lord? Are you inspired by the resurrection? Are you inspired by this hope? Fully giving yourselves to the work of the Lord. Fully giving yourselves to the work of the Lord. Fully giving yourselves to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That means that anything that we do here on earth, any little act, any little act, any little gesture, anything that we do today, it matters for all of eternity because God will one day come and finish what he began. Church, we're not, just benef- we're not just beneficiaries of this resurrection. We are to be agents of it. Go out. Go out. Go out. Go out. Go out. Go out. You and I have been given this amazing mission to bring life of heaven down to earth in actual physical earthly reality. Can I get an amen to that amazing mission? I mean, if that doesn't give you hope to get up, when you get up tomorrow morning, do you realize I have a job to do? What's your job? (laughs) To bring the renewal and restoration of God right here in Chicago. Is that amazing? You don't think like that, though, do you? I don't go work in there. Kingdom vision riveted the disciples. And they gave up their lives for it, saying, my life matters. One other thing, activist types. Hi, man, I'm going to set my alarm to 6 o'clock and I'm going to shoot out of there. No. It's amazing because Paul says Easter and then Pentecost go together. Not only just does he give you the mission, he also gives you the instrument to carry out the mission. Are you with me? 
He doesn't just give you the mission, but he empowers you with the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I say that again? Because I'm reading all these Facebook posts, which I really shouldn't do, but I read them anyway. And people going, oh, how am I going to do this thing? Oh, I work in the immigration. Oh, I work with the poorest of the poor. Oh, oh. And then Easter, oh, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. It's good news. And they just go out. And you get burnt out again. Why? Why? Because you cannot do Easter mission without Pentecost spirit. You cannot do Easter. Goodness gracious. You know, two weeks, we're gonna, I'm going to do this sermon series. Three words that changed my life. Christ in you. You can't do the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. Forget about it. You can't do the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. So for those of us activist types, Jesus says, oh, pause, pause, pause. Actually, he said that, didn't he? Wait in Jerusalem. Peter's like, I want to go. Wait in Jerusalem. John says, I want to wait in Jerusalem until what? You receive how many of y'all are doing Easter Pentecost together? Hmm? Easter Pentecost together. If you're not a Christian, this is the reason why you should be a Christian. <laughs> Which part are you talking about? Okay. The whole sermon too, but let me just talk about this part. If you're not a Christian, you know what? Because, see, see, you can come on out. I'm actually, because here's the thing. If you are the activist type and you came here because your friend invited you, Again, seriously, I don't know. What is your worldview? Do you believe that at the end, like some of the Greeks and Romans believe, life just... Because if that's what happens at the end, I, I'm, I'm wondering, like, what gives you the motivation to get up every, every day and pour your life out in sacrifice? What? Well, for me, some of us, we believe in Hades, you know. Well, we just kind of, our spirits just kind of go, and we just kind of under... See, this is why Christians have, in my humble perception the most powerful motivation to make a difference in our world because God says, what you do, I'm going to finish. What you do, I'm going to finish. By the way, that applies for you personally too. God, why am I such a mess? God goes, um, we're going to work on your junk. We're going to work on your mess. But I'm not letting you ever go into interim. You hear me? Because God says, what I start, he what? Every time. Can I just talk? Okay, so um, if, if you're not a Christian here today, your friend invited you, maybe even warned you about this moment. Maybe your friend said, hey, man, so like at the, serve, at the end of the service, like he might do this thing. You're like, what the are you talking about? They're like, just watch. Okay, so here's what you're watching now, okay? <laughs> uh, I, let me. See, I, I fully believe with all my heart that, that once... The, the decision that a person makes to cross from I live my own life the way I want to to now I follow Jesus. That work, it has nothing to do with my preaching, my look, nothing to do with any of us here. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. So I just have to trust that God the Holy Spirit is at work in some people here today and just do what I'm called to do. And this is. Even maybe just a religious spiritual person searching and even just collecting the dots, collecting the dots. Yeah, a little bit of here, a little bit of there. And today maybe is the time you connect the dots, yeah? Connect the dots. And connected the dots meaning maybe you walked in here going, man, I've been to church. I grew up Catholic, whatever. You know, you consider a spiritual person. But Jesus says to become a Christian is literally this. Here's a one-minute gospel. He says, Jesus Christ came and lived the life you should have lived, and he earned for us 
earn for us in that perfect life, the righteousness that such a perfect life deserves. But at the end of the life, he went to the cross. He died, and he took upon himself the curse, the punishment, the condemnation that we deserve. And the Bible says that when you confess your sins and you believe in Jesus, here's what believing in Jesus is, not just, I believe there's a God. Believing in Jesus is saying, I approach you, God, not on the basis of my own good works or my own righteousness, but based on your good works and your righteousness. That when we do that and we, here's our part, you ready? Surrender control of our lives to God. That a great exchange takes place. You get his righteousness for the perfect life. And he gets the punishment and the justice and wrath of God for us in disobedience. So that when that takes place, God accepts you and receives you like family. And when he sees you, he sees you just like he sees his son. And God bursts at the sight of you. So today, if you're here today and you came with me, you're like, oh, all right. What I'm going to ask you in a moment is to stand, to stand, okay? And here's the reason why. Because I want to pray for you, and I'm going to some of our pastors follow up with you. And most importantly, our church needs to know, your friend, your family needs to know that you're doing this today because the Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. You have to do it in community. There's no superman, superwoman Christian life. You need community. And so that's why we do it. And if you're going, oh, but I'm shy, but I'm afraid, uh, there's uh, fewer places better than here in Chicago where actually giving your life over to Jesus will be celebrated and cheered. So if you're here today and you're saying, listen very carefully, I'm talking to those of you, I don't care if you've been to church all your life, religious person, if you've never made that commitment to say, by your help, I choose to follow you because I accept, not my good works, I accept the righteousness and work of Christ so that I can become his son, his daughter. If that's you, stand. Stand from where you are. And we're going to come, give you a big hug, cheer, pray with you.